the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Two points. This is SRN News. W262CP, Bayonet Point. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So what this means to us is this. Remember what God has done for you in the past. That's why I said uh, in the series on Nehemiah, it's good to have a journal that you record some things. However way you want to do it, write down some past victories because you're going to forget about them. How God delivered you from a terrible problem, from a, from a crisis, from an illness that you thought was just terrible, from a situation that looked hopeless. Can you allow yourself to be carried back to the days of your childhood or to the time of your children's childhood? Can you think of a time when your mom or dad did something so great, so bold, that you will never forget it? Was there a time you narrowly escaped a terrible accident? Do you have one of those life's lessons that will never fade away? I think you probably do. Hello, this is Peter Silseth. While you are thinking back to your childhood, I am pleased to introduce Pastor Steve Kreloff, the senior pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel. It's located in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor there for more than 27 years. Okay, time is up. You have had time to think of an unforgettable incident. How did you feel immediately after it happened? Did you think about that evening? Did you tell your friends about it? Well, David had some pretty scary incidents that took place as he watched the family's flock of sheep, stories he would never forget, and when told to his children, they would never forget. These past experiences made a difference in David's life and in the lives of King Saul's men. They affected all of Israel when they heard of David's courageous acts. Pastor Steve is going to talk to us about times like this in David's life and make some personal applications to each of us who are listening today. Here now is Pastor Steve. So the question is, how do you cultivate this type of inner motivation that that, uh, passionately is concerned about God's honor? I thought about that this week. Where did this come from in David? He wasn't born like this. Nobody's born like this. We're born hating God. We're at enmity with God. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. David says, in sin I was conceived. Where then did this come along? You know what, you know what uh, the truth is here? As, we, as I thought about David's life, where did he cultivate it? He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't learn this from his father. He certainly didn't learn it from his older brother or any of his brothers. David meditated on the awesomeness of God's character. It has to be that. While out with the sheep, David is meditating on how awesome the character of God is. He's not watching television. He's not listening to the radio. I don't know if he was reading other books or scrolls. He's meditating on God's 
greatness. In fact, if you just for example, Psalm 8. This is from the heart of David. Inspired, but from the heart of David. Psalm 8. Just listen to this. Verses 1 through 9. O Lord, O our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens from the mouths of infants and nursing babes. Thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou dost uh, take thought of him, and the son of man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. Thou dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Do you see the heart of David? God, you're incredible. You're wonderful. You made all things and you made man. And how dare puny man shake his fist at you and the uh, armies of the living God. I can't stand that, that what this Goliath is saying about you. It's disrespectful. It's disgraceful. I mean, that's David's heart. You see, out in solitude, God became as real to David as Goliath was to those soldiers. David had a reality of God because he chose to meditate on the truths of God until they became part of his his being. F.B. Mayer, in his uh, very fine book about David, writes this. There is no shortcut to the life of faith, which is the all vital condition of a holy and victorious life. We must have periods of lonely meditation and fellowship with God that our souls should have their mountains of fellowship, their valleys of quiet rest beneath the shadow of a great rock, their nights beneath the stars when darkness has veiled the material and silenced the stir of human life and has opened the view of the infinite and eternal is as indispensable as that our bodies should have food. Thus alone can the sense of God's presence become the fixed possession of the soul, enabling it to say repeatedly with the psalmist, thou art near, O God. What he's saying is you need time with God. You need time alone with God. You need to meditate on how great the Lord is. And you you sense God's presence. You sense God's realness because you have spent time with him and you have meditated on how wonderful God is. And so when he's dishonored, you're incensed because he is so real to you. He is so precious to you. So if you have any giants that you're trying to slay, but you can't get any victory, you need to consider this. What's your motivation? Is it to honor Jesus Christ? Is it to bring him glory or is it to escape a problem? Is it to make life easier for you? Is it to save some money? Is it a health issue so that you'll feel better? All these things may enter into it, but that should not be the final and most important motivation. The motivation is, is God honored by this? Jesus said in John 14, if you ask anything in my name, I'll answer it. The Father is glorified. I'm paraphrasing that. What is it to ask in Christ's name? It's praying with the right motives. It's praying, uh, uh, in essence, what Jesus would ask for. It's praying with the same heart attitude of Christ. You are coming in his name. It, is not, it does not mean at the end of a prayer you say, in Jesus' name, amen. You can say that, but you must be saying it with an attitude of, Lord, I'm asking you 
for something with the same heart motivation that if Jesus were here physically, this is what he would ask for. And so I have confidence you're going to answer me. See, the motive is to bring God glory by the answer. So, so the issue here is the motivation for God's honor and glory. But, but I need to warn you because once you get that straightened out, do not be surprised, do not be shocked that others do not understand your motivation and that you're misjudged and misunderstood in your motives. Nobody, or I should say, don't be shocked if people don't understand your zeal for God. Why do I say that? Notice verse uh, 28 through 30. And we read this before. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, uh, when he heard that David spoke to the men, his anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you've come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. Here we have his oldest brother questioning his motives and basically saying, I know why you're here. You're proud. You're irresponsible. You've left those sheep with nobody, haven't you? And David says, what, what have I done now? But here's the key. David, it said, went on asking and just continued. He didn't let his brother uh, distract him from what God had put upon his heart. So the principle is this. If people misjudge your motives, and they will, and people don't understand your zeal for the Lord, if before God you know that you're right and your motives are right, just go on. Don't, don't let them pour cold water on you. Just go on. It's kind of like Nehemiah. Nehemiah, remember in the last study, uh, Nehemiah's enemies want to meet with him, distract him from the work. He said, I'm busy doing a great work for God. Leave me alone. I'm not coming down from the wall. It's the same thing with David. I'm busy here. So even though his brother didn't understand what was going on, David didn't get bitter. He didn't get distracted. He didn't say, look, he's my oldest brother. He must be right. No, he just kind of went on because he knew he was right before the Lord. So triumphant faith, first of all, is motivated by God's honor. I, I trust that as you uh, think about this and you think about the giant you're trying to slay, some overwhelming thing in your life, what is your motivation? Why do you want this to happen? Why do you want victory? Secondly, Triumphant faith is not only motivated by God's honor, it is strengthened by past victories, past experiences, past triumphs. Notice verses 31 through 33. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he's been a warrior from his youth. When David's words were reported to Saul, Saul sent for him, wanted to hear what was going on. So David offers to fight the giant, but Saul's against it. Why? Because you're just a kid. Your kid. We, we estimate that David was about 16 years old. And uh, he said, Goliath has been a warrior since his youth. It'll be suicide. He'll kill you. We, we can't let you do that. Now, I wonder, what would you say if you were David? I thought about that this week. What would I say if my king said that to me? And my oldest brother said, you're proud. I know your heart. I know why you're here. You know what I might say? I might say, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. A guy could get killed fighting a giant. What right do I have to be here? Thank you. I've, I've made my case. 
I showed you that I'm brave. Now I'll go home. Thank you. But that wasn't David. That wasn't David. And I wonder if you can relate to this because in, in our zeal to honor the Lord, sometimes there are people who, who don't understand that and they do pour cold water on us. You know, God's put a burden on your heart. Nobody really uh, understands it. And uh, you have people close to you who just pour cold water on. They say, you'll never do it. It can't be done. We've tried this before. Why, you're too young. Older and better men and women have tried this, and you, you think you're going to do it? And it's very easy to get discouraged, very easy to get intimidated, to think, well, these are older people. They know what they're doing, and I better not. I, they're right. I don't think so. That's not always the case. If God has put it on your heart, then you don't get discouraged. You don't get intimidated. You, you press on. And that was David's attitude. He refused to be discouraged, intimidated. Even though his king said something, even though his older brother, his oldest brother said something. Why did David refuse to get uh, discouraged? Well, the next few verses, beginning of verse 34, tell us. But David said to Saul, notice the word but. But David said to Saul, regardless of what Saul said, and what Saul said kind of made sense. From an external standpoint, because he didn't understand David's heart. He never understood David's heart because Saul didn't have a heart like this. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And we could imagine Saul saying, And may you make final arrangements for your funeral here. May you get your life in order. But he reluctantly says to go. So David tells Saul uh, the story about how, how God delivered him in the past from a lion and a bear. And he's confident that God's going to deliver him from this giant. That's, that's a great story. Well, what's the principle here? The principle is this. Faith that slays giants is strengthened by past victories. It's exactly what David is saying. What David is doing, in essence, David is saying, this isn't the first time I've been in a fight uh, against, uh, against something that's, that's been bigger than me. I've encountered a powerful enemy once or twice in my life, and I've seen God deliver me. The same God who took care of the lion helped me to kill the lion and the bear. I mean, could you imagine a lion and a bear? We're not talking about little dogs here and little cats. We're talking about a lion and a bear. David said, that same God who's proved his faithfulness to empower me will do it again. I'm confident of this. In other words, what encourages us in our present battles, listen, is that we can look back and recall how God gave us victory in our past battles. That's a great principle. You should have past battles that you've had some victory in. So what this means to us is this. Remember what God has done for you in the past. That's why I said uh, in the series on Nehemiah, it's good to have a journal that you record some things. However way you want to do it, write down some past victories because you're going to forget about them. How God delivered you from a terrible problem, from a, from a crisis, from an illness that you thought was just terrible, from a situation that looked hopeless, this is, a, this is a great word from Charles Spurgeon. In one of his sermons, Spurgeon told his congregation never to forget about the lion and the bear. That's good. Write down the lion and the bear. This is what Spurgeon said. 
These were noteworthy facts which David had stored up in his memory, and he now mentions them, for they exactly answered his purpose. We ought not to be unmindful the way in which the Lord our God has led us. For if we are, we shall lose much, he says, if you forget this. Some saints have very short memories. It has been well said that we write our benefits in dust and our injuries in marble. And it is equally true that we generally inscribe our afflictions upon brass, while the records of the deliverances of God are written in water. It ought not to be if our memories were more tenacious of the merciful visitations of our God, our faith would often be strengthened in times of trial. If you, if you remember things, if you, wrote, if you write them down, it's going to help you, as Spurgeon put it, to remember the merciful visitations of God. All of us should have times in the past where God mercifully delivered us. And when you're facing present battles, you ought to be able to reflect on that because God doesn't change. God did it in the past, you can do it in the present. And maybe this helps to put into perspective, and maybe it helps to, uh, to explain the present trials that you're going through. Why are you going through some trials right now? Well, according to the Bible, one reason, one primary reason is God is out to develop your faith. He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day that he takes you home to be with him. For example, James chapter 1. Let me read this to you. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, why would you consider it all joy? As one person translates this, count these trials as your friends. Why? I don't like trials. Why would I count them as my friends? Well, if I get a biblical perspective, they are my friends, and I, and I will like them because of what they produce. Knowing that the testing of your faith, James says, produces endurance. You want endurance in your life, that steadfastness to trust God under pressure? Then count it all joy, what you're going through. He says, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He means maturity. Let God work in your life. Don't fight him. Don't complain about it. Don't say, God, why are you doing this? Because God's already told you. He's producing in you some real character development. He's developing faith. We pray, Lord, help me to be a man or a woman of faith, a man or a woman of God. And then when God works in our lives, we say, Lord, what are you doing? Well, how do you think you're going to be a man or a woman of God? A little tribulation, some trial, trials that you go through. The trials and the battles that you find yourself in now are for your good because they develop greater faith and character. And God is giving you a, a, a whole host of, of these experiences, experiences so that you'll be able to look back when you're going through something really tough and say, you know, God was here. He was back here with me. He took me through this. This is my lion. This is my bear. And uh, I can slay this giant now by God's grace. I think that's why so many Old Testament characters often rehearsed the history of Israel. Do you recognize that as you read the Old Testament? So many characters rehearse the history of Israel because they see God who did all this. Look, God created the heavens and the earth, they say. God uh, called Abraham. He, he rose up a nation. He, uh, he protected us. We went down into Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt. He gave us this land. He's taken care of us. He's, he's done all of this. He's made wonderful promises. Why is God doing Why are they doing that? To remember the same God who worked in the past is alive today in the present. And in case you, you say, you know, I don't have many victories in the past. I don't have much of a past spiritual life. 
I've, I have really been defeated a lot. Well, then count on somebody else's victories. Uh, if I read and understand Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 correctly, you can fall back on other people's victories who uh, had victory because of faith, even if you don't have it yourself. Notice Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, who does, what does he mean? The great cloud of witnesses are the Old Testament men and women of faith. Who, who, who passed the finish line triumphant. Even though they went through trials, uh, not one of them had it easy in life. They trusted God. They trusted God. God gave them victory. And they are a great cloud of witnesses to us. They're not in the clouds looking down saying, hey, go, you know, finish this race. What they're doing is from the pages of Scripture, they're testifying to us that the race can be won in triumph. The race can be won in triumph. These were just ordinary people. No super duper saints, ordinary people. And we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hey, press on. Press on to the finish line. How do you know you can finish with triumph? Because others have gone before you. So if you don't have many past victories, fall back on their past victories. Got any giants today that you're trying to slay? Then consider why you want victory. That's number one. Consider why. Is it your pride? Could be your pride. And I want to show that I've got it to get over this, this habit. That I've got the inner fortitude. I can do it. Sounds like pride. Is it for your sake or is it for God's honor? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking, just the mundane things of life, do all for the glory of God. That, that ought to settle everything. The psalmist said, let us exalt his name together. Is that your desire to exalt his name? That was David's desire. That's what's behind killing Goliath. Does God get the credit or do you get the credit when when? The dust settles and the answer to, to your prayers come in. Who's going to look good in this? That's, that's all the inner motives of the heart that you want, to, you want to deal with. And once you've settled the question of motives, then be strengthened in your battles today by God's faithfulness and deliverance of you yesterday. It's a basic, basic issues. So we're going to take a few minutes to just be still before the Lord, give you an opportunity to respond in worship and respond in obedience. If you really want triumphant faith, this is the path. We're not finished with this aspect of our study. David will pick it up, Lord willing, next week. But you need to consider what are my inner motives and how has God worked in the past? Meditate on the great works of God. And as we're still before him, just before I let you in quietness think about it, you need to consider that the greatest giant that any of us face is sin. That's a giant, sin and guilt, that really no one in and of themselves can, can defeat. But thank God Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death. And he offers victory to you as a free gift that's called salvation. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for those thoughts and for helping us get things in proper perspective. Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees, and it takes a message like the one we just heard to help us realize what is going on in our lives. If you are living, you have giants. 
Do they need to be slain? Probably. But for what reason do we want them slain? To make you look good or to give all glory and honor to the Lord? Pastor Steve hit the nail on the head when he quoted David, who wrote many of the Psalms and said, let us exalt his name together. That was David's motivation, his focus, his reason for existence. It was a pleasure to have you in class today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For over 27 years, Pastor Steve has been serving and teaching at Lakeside, and now his expository messages come to this radio station through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. Today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. We have today's lesson as well as many previous lessons available as audio downloads, or you can listen to them online. That's versebyverseradio.org. Well, I hope you can join us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.